Hi, my name is Sean Keyes and you're listening to You, Me and BPD. In this episode, I'm talking to uh, David Adam. Adam is an author there. He wrote a book called The Man Who Couldn't Stop. And basically, David has OCD. So I was listening to the book and I was going to do a podcast on it because um, I know a few people that have BPD and OCD. So I kind of wanted to do a podcast to see if it would help others, you know, along with their intrusive thoughts that they would get with OCD. And um, I just said I'd reach out to David and see would he do a podcast himself. And thankfully he has. So what you're listening to then is just our Zoom call basically on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Hello. Hello. That seems better. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, all good. Okay. Okay. Technology. I, I'm not the best with technology either, to be honest with you. Let's see. Yeah, anyway, let's make the most of it while we've got it. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, well, let's go again. She's still, she's still a bit off, is she? Uh, I can hear you all right. Can you not hear me? Oh, I can. Yeah, I can. I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't know if it was still a bit off. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's go again, as they say. Yeah, well, right from the start. No, no. Look, let I, if you uh, if you want to give yourself a brief introduction, and um, we can go from there. Yeah. Okay. Um... So, hi Sean, my name's David Adam, I'm, I'm a freelance journalist um, in Hartford near London and um, I'm talking to you because several years ago I wrote a book on my experiences with OCD uh, and the book's called The Man Who Couldn't Stop. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I've listened to that book and I found, it, I found it extremely good to be honest, I found it very honest, very honest book. Um, and we were talking earlier on, and as I was saying about the book, what I picked up from the book is it wasn't written and it wasn't, you, you know, you're a freelance journalist. And as you said earlier on as well, it was the bridge in between li- listening to a book that a doctor wrote yet didn't have the illness and someone else who was in a, a manic state while writing the book. And that's one thing that I did pick up on your book is that there was this sense of honesty about it absolute just and humorous which i love i love a bit of humor in life you know there was a bit of humor and, and honesty which is fundamental for me anyway but um and we were chatting about the book as well in, in a sense of the girl who had seven meters of uh clay in africa which uh you know these are things that people with ocd are they won't have OCD. This is another thing with OCD that people mightn't relate to. It's not just washing hands. There's so much more to OCD. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I've listened to you, I've listened to your book twice now, actually, because of today. I, I listened to it and then I wanted to listen to it again. Are you a Queen fan? <laughs> um, you mean the band? or, or, yeah. or yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I never thought of uh, The um, band Queen. Do you know what? I was quite relieved when I when I had my fortieth birthday 
Right. Because, because then you're kind of allowed to like Queen again, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone likes them as a teenager. Yeah. You know, first one of the first bands I discovered because I was on a camping trip with the Scouts and people would have Queen's greatest hits. Yes. Um, and and um, but then it gets to a point where you know you discover other bands and Queen just don't seem that cool. Okay. And then you hear a Queen song on the radio and you go, oh, this is awesome, isn't it? And but um, I wouldn't say I'm a massive fan. No. If if it was like list my top ten bands, they wouldn't they wouldn't be in my top ten. But I can appreciate what they do. You know. Yeah, no, and like the reason I ask is is we're we're kicking off into this uh, podcast, but you've OCD, you've written a book called The Man Who Couldn't Stop, and one of the things I picked up in the book is because you your particular, uh, I don't know if you call it a trait or a quirk or whatever, but a, a nightmare is that you were afraid of getting AIDS, and you know back in the eighties this was a big deal. So mm. I was kind of asking myself while listening to it again, going, I wonder, did you, you know, because I mean, obviously Freddie Mercury died of AIDS in 1991, I think, you know, mm. and um, I was just, I was there going to myself, I wonder, is, were you a fan? Because you know the way sometimes when, you know, like we'll say in my generation, you're about eight years, seven or eight years older than me, um, you know, Kirk Cobain died and it was a big thing when I was a, a young lad, you know, the type of way. And I was just wondering, was that the impact as well? But another thing I was looking at, um, I only seen it this morning while I was listening to your book. I was up at half five listening to your book again. And uh, that ad from the 1980s in Australia with the Grim Reaper and all the people are like uh, bowling balls and it's just knocking them out with AIDS and the woman with the child. I mean... I have children there now. They would be horrified watching that. Yeah. It, it, was, it was horrific. And this is, you know, when I when I, I do quite a lot of interviews and stuff and, and people sometimes say to me, you know, what, what was it about AIDS? And I, I can tell that they're younger than me because um, if you grew up in the 80s, like I did, it was, I can remember the day at school when everyone stopped worrying about nuclear war and started worrying about AIDS, yeah, you know, the thing that was going to kill you. Because, you know, until then, it was all the stuff on the TV and the news is all about Russia and America and uh, going at each other. And, um, you know, two tribes, Frankie goes to Hollywood, the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Split around, image. Do you remember around, Split Image had a, a video? Yeah, it was all around nuclear war. Mm. And, then, and then AIDS um, emerged. And at the time, of course, they didn't know much about it. And... And they genuinely thought that it might kill almost everybody. And so, so the only weapon they had to try and to try and stop that happening was to scare people. It's, and, it's amazing we're in a kind of a somewhat similar. <laughs> well, do you know what? It's it's not funny. I was going to say it's funny, but it's it's telling that there are you know there are already people who have developed OCD around COVID, and that's one of the things about OCD is that it seems to run along sort of cultural themes, whatever society's great bogeyman at the time is. Yeah. Um, people tend to sort of incorporate that into their OCD because OCD itself seems to have been around for as long as we've been keeping records as, as a species. Yeah. Uh, but obviously the, the topics and sort of the content of OCD changes with the times and, and with your location. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were saying in your book there, um, 
uh, a woman in France, eighteen uh, hundreds was was like one of the first cases of OCD, where she um she was going to uh, another person's house and she had like a, an apron on her, but so she was afraid in case she'd rob something, so she just wouldn't wear the apron, you know, and developed OCD from that, and eventually signed her in, herself into um, a psychiatric hospital, wasn't it, with some uh, fella who who looked over her. So it doesn't say it does seem to be it seemed like to me and I I BPD you've OCD um you know to me it seems to be from my own illness and then listening to I've listened to your book on OCD and one or two other books on OCD because a friend of mine has it it seems to me like even with myself the talk comes into your head and instead of letting it go, you sit down and enjoy the popcorn and go, what? You know, and you just ruminate over it. And it's there projecting this massive show for you. And you believe it's you. It's like, oh, my God, that's so much me. I would have like you. You've had your intrusive thoughts. I would have intrusive thoughts of hurting people, you know, walking across a bridge. I wonder what would it be like to fuck them into the River Shannon our river here in Athlone in Ireland. And I would I cringe and I go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm thinking these things. And it would get worse, mm. you know, mm. and OCD from from what I'm listening to. And uh, it seems to be this. You grab it and then the thought has you, you're you know, it's kind of you're mingling. Yeah. With each other. It's so it's it's really interesting question how. Because everyone has those kind of thoughts. I mean, not yeah. everyone will talk about them. But everyone has the kind of thoughts, I wonder what it would be like to throw that person into a river, or I wonder what it would be like to go up and kiss that person, or I've just got an urge to go up and punch that person in the face for no reason. That, that everyone has those thoughts. Um, there's no yeah. doubt that we know that. And, and of course, the question then becomes, well, why do some people just brush them off as a weird part of life and get on with it, and others sort of hang on to them and, and make something out of it? Mm. And... and um, we don't quite know the answer, but it seems to be one of the things that seems to matter is is how pertinent the thought is to you. So if you're um, so there are, for example, there are two people who are looking at a picture of um, the Virgin Mary, for example, and this is quite common. You know, they both get weird, intrusive, maybe sexual thoughts about the Virgin Mary. One of those people is about Catholic. The other person isn't. It's the person who's about Catholic who's going to start to question their motivations and their and, and their um, you know what kind of person am I? Who would really think that? That's so bad. It's so against everything who I that I believe I am, okay. and, and that is more likely to trigger rea a reaction that could lead to OCD than someone who is not religious at all and would just think, well, that was weird, isn't it? And and so so, so it comes down to the content of the thought and how it, how it challenges yourself or your view of yourself as a good person so the fact that the fact that if you have thoughts about hitting someone on throwing them off a bridge the fact that that disturbs you shows you the kind of you have a curved person who would not do that you yeah. know people people who would have those kind of thoughts or sorry people who would do that kind of thing have that kind of thought and it's completely normal to them they wouldn't think anything of it yeah so it's the other thing the fact that it it kind of clashes with who we are shows that we are not that kind of person who would do that kind of thing which is which is why it sets up this such a such a tension and a conflict and one of the other things is that it seems to come down to 
whether you hang on to these thoughts or not, your personality type. Um, so as you're a kid growing up, you know, our, our personalities are shaped by all sorts of events and things that happen. And one of the uh, traits that seems to be important is um, a sense of what's called sort of over a, a, an exaggerated sense of responsibility. So it's my job to make sure this happens or this doesn't happen. Okay. Um, so there are people with OCD who they see, they see a piece of glass on the street and they think, well, because I've now seen that, if I don't remove it and someone cuts themselves on it, that's my fault. Yeah. And, and, the, and the other thing, just to finish that thought, is that um, there's this thing called, it's, it's quite often called magical thinking. So mm. thought, action, fusion, which is the belief that to think something is as important and as, as, um, as, as, as uh, fundamentally important as, as to do it. And, okay. and people put this huge importance on their thoughts. And again, we see that a lot in a religious context. So, you know, to, to, to conceive adultery is, is to think about having sex with someone is the same as to do it. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is, do not covet thy neighbor's ox. You, don't, you shouldn't want something. You, just to think about wanting something is, is as bad as killing somebody, you know. And so when people have these kind of thoughts, they can really, if you have this sense of thought, action, fusion, or um, magical thinking, you can just invest way too much significance in your thoughts and, and not see them as just this random sparking of electrical signals in the brain. You see them as, as really some, something quite fundamental and something that needs to be addressed and challenged. And all of those circumstances help to explain why if 10 people have the same thought, maybe one or two of them could develop OCD from that and the rest will just carry on with their lives. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and you're after touching on something uh, in your book that I'm after remembering is like I, I'm, I have no belief in a higher power or anything like that. But it really dawned on me that if you did have a belief in a higher power, because fundamentally in, in the Bible, you know, Jesus said, even if you think a thought, I mean, that would be detrimental to someone's mind who would have a belief in, um, we'll say, God or Jesus or Christianity in a sense of, as you said, and that was another thing that I loved in your book is that, you know, that was the first time I heard that, that everybody gets them. And I was delighted to hear that going, that is brilliant information. And I went around asking people that I know that are really neurotypical that would trust me and go, yeah, really many intrusive thoughts. And they all said, yeah, so it was great. Um, you know, one fella says to me, I'd be lying in bed and I'd be thinking of putting a pillow over my wife's head, right? And I know this, obviously I know this person and he's a gentleman, like an absolute gentleman. He wouldn't be rowdy up to town or anything like that. So it was great listening to that in your book because it kind of pushed me out to ask people who are neurotypical that don't have a mental illness, do you get these thoughts? And they all said, yeah, yeah, we do, you know? And I said, what do you do? Like, like that particular fella who said he'd put a pillow over his wife's head. Um, you know, I know 100% he's never hit her. He's a complete gentleman, which was lovely to hear from him because he trusts me so much. And um, I said, what did you do when the talk came in? Oh, sure, I know it's not real. That's all he said. I know it's not real. He says, sure, it's just a talk. I know it's not real. And he just passed it off as if it was nothing. Mm. You know, um, now I would be different. Nowadays, I pass all my thoughts off. 
if I'm getting intrusive thoughts, I laugh because they're ridiculous. I absolutely, I go, oh, you're on one, you know, you're tired, so or you're hungry or whatever the case may be. But years ago, it wouldn't have been that case. I was absolutely buckled. And, you know, from listening to your book, with your complete fear of heaven and catching AIDS, that's a nightmare. Like That's a living nightmare. You know, the type of way, especially when you were saying you were in the pool and uh, you <laughs> you were taking the, the paper to test and see was there blood in it and your mom is looking at you and you were looking at it. And I was there going picturing and trying to empathize with you in the locker room. And I was going, that must have been a living nightmare for you back then. You know? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, yeah. it was really, really, really hard. And um, even I, as someone who went through it, uh, now I'm hopefully on the other side of it. Yeah. find it hard to comprehend just how continual it was. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't seem possible that someone could think the same thing for, for more than a few minutes. You know, we're so used to our attention being grabbed and diverted. Um, and I thought the same thing for, Years and years and years, and 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 with those thoughts came a great sense of anxiety and fear and um, unhappiness. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, and it is for a lot of people still. You know, some people listening to this will still be going through it, and and maybe they haven't told anyone about it before, or maybe they haven't talked about it before. Um, and it's, and that was another. It wasn't really a reason I wrote the book, to be honest, because I didn't think I was qualified to help people. I thought I was a pretty poor role model, given that it taken me 20 years to actually try and get any help. Um, but, you know, it has reached people and I get, you know, I get one or two emails a week from people around the world saying, you know, this is just my experience. This, this is exactly yeah. what I went through. And there's a lot of it out there. Absolutely. And, a lot of it, and, and that's one of the reasons. So when I was having the therapy, the thing that probably helped me among the most was was learning that other people have these thoughts. Because I think when you when you have OCD, and maybe conditions like yours as well, I don't know, but when you have OCD, you want the thoughts to stop. It's the thoughts that seem to be the problem. You know, why am I having these thoughts? If I wasn't having these thoughts, everything would be all right. Why won't they stop? Yeah. And and when you have therapy, they kind of teach you that they're not going to stop. And it's about how you deal with them that matters. Mm. And that's heartbreaking to start with. It just seems so difficult. Yeah. Um, and such an incomplete solution. But knowing that those thoughts are normal. Yes. Normal yeah. is, is a massive help, I think, in, yeah. in trying to treat OCD. Because a big part of how you feel when you have OCD is what? why am I having these thoughts? What is wrong with me? Why am I so mental and fucked up? Um, yeah it is that's it isn't it it's it's i know again with me it's it's you think you're the only one having the thoughts you think oh my god i'm such a monster my my thoughts were always very dark and intrusive and like that when you realize i'm not alone there's actually loads of people having these thoughts and when you can accept that like i thought when i got better from bpd like BPD is a very emotional illness in a sense of we feel everything, we feel happiness to the extreme, but we feel sadness to the extreme. And um, I thought when I got better that, bingo, my, my thoughts would be perfect and clear. And as it turns out, no, no, not the case. That's just my mind. You know, that's just who I am. 
One of the kind of strange quirks of OCD is that although my my OCD was and is around HIV, so intrusive yeah. thoughts about HIV and AIDS, I'm always going to respond to in a certain way. Yeah, I had plenty of intrusive thoughts about other issues that never bothered me. Yeah. So I got the jumping off a high place. I remember carrying my baby daughter around thinking I could just throw her down the stairs. And um, never, it never, none of that ever kind of stuck. Um, yes. And, and so, so recognizing that I think helps in a way because it shows that you are capable of just experiencing these thoughts and, and letting them go. Um, yeah, you were just fixated on the HIV one. Trying to do that in all cases rather than in most cases. Yeah. And that's another thing when I was listening again to your book this morning, it's another thing that it was it was hitting me in the face. It's there's an element of fear, isn't there? Survival within us, in a sense that, that it's threatening our core values as human beings, that we are somehow going to be threatened. And one of the biggest things that I, I got from it was exposure. In other words, if someone sees the real me, I'm done for. You know that type of way. And that's the one thing I got from the book, in a sense of going, you know. And I wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about like people in general that have mental illness or OCD or BPD. It was like, if they see the real me, I'm gone. I'm done for, you know, the type yeah. of way. And that's the one thing that I picked up as well from your book is that we all, thankfully, as you research, we all get these intrusive thoughts. We do. It's just some of us grab onto them, you know? Yeah. So, you know, Winston Churchill, Got those intrusive thoughts about the train, about about yeah, jumping yeah. the train. You know, he would he would physically have to put himself behind a, a rail behind a pillar at the platform so he could give himself some comfort that he thought he wasn't going to jump in front of it. He couldn't sleep in a room that had a balcony. Um, yeah, yeah. Off the balcony in the middle of the night. You know, and this is a man who you couldn't think of a kind of a braver, you know, more kind of yeah. rational individual in in his public life. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's a great cliche, isn't there, with mental health, which is don't compare other people's outsides to your insides because, you know, everyone is carrying something and you, you don't see it. No, you don't. And and that's one of the one of the main reasons I do this podcast is because, you know, it's so important to talk about mental health because, I mean, you know, to say one and four are going to suffer. I think one in four get diagnosed. I think realistically it's 75% and the other 25 are lying. Um, you know, I think if everyone was diagnosed, <laughs> we'd all have something. Yeah. You know what? That's what I, so I say to people that I'm surprised if it's only one in four because you never meet anybody who's never had a cold or a cough yeah. or, yeah. or, or, you know, uh, indigestion. And um, the brain is is infinitesimally more complicated than the digestive system or the muscular yeah. system or you know and and so the idea that you could go through 80 years of life without ever anything going wrong with the most complicated part of the body seems yeah. to be fanciful i mean look at the technical trouble we've had this morning with just one zoom Honestly. call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean imagine trying to use zoom for 80 years and it never going wrong it's yeah. so, so yeah. what, the brain is it's just so vulnerable to these kind of changes. Imagine, imagine Zoom on people to remember. Like I was there with the Zoom, and this is our 
third or fourth take with the Zoom. And I was just thinking, going, you wouldn't want to be mentally ill with Zoom, would you? <laughs> <laughs> it would drive you mad, you know. Yeah, it, it, um, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's, you know, people are very precious about their minds and their brains in a way that they aren't about other ailments of their body. I mean, a lot of people don't shut up about their various physical ailments. Yeah, yeah. And um, and yet the brain and the mind is seen as somehow has to be pure or it has to be, you know. You can't uh, be thinking these thoughts, you know, as if somehow. And one thing I notice as well with people is some people, not all, is, you know, they're, they're not diagnosed. That's fine. And that's, that's okay. But they're so shut off to mental health. It would make me question that they would have it, but they just don't want to talk about it because it's so, um, it'll be brought to the surface, you know? Yeah, I think, I think that's, it's one way of dealing with things, isn't it? And I think it's a generational thing as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think well, certainly in this, in this country, and I imagine in Ireland as well, um, you know, our parents' generation just didn't talk about these kind of things. No, you'd be locked up in Ireland. Like, in Ireland, you know, my parents would have, like, you know, my parents' generation, you'd simply be locked up in a mental home. That would be it, uh, end of. And that's it. You're not coming out. Hmm. So, you know, you couldn't talk about it because they would lock you up. There's people in them. I know, I don't know them personally, but, you know, you, you, you work with lads and they're, we'll say they're farmers and their uncle is in a mental home since he was a young man and that's it. He's in his 60s now. You know the type of way. So in Ireland, it was a different. If you were mentally ill back then, you were just locked up, which, which kind of, in a weird way, every, you know, I want to talk about it now, but they couldn't do this. They couldn't come on and say, I'm mentally ill. They'd be, because then their whole world would be based around that mental illness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everything yeah. they did then would be, like, I'm very open about my BPD, but my world doesn't revolve around BPD. I don't, people wouldn't say to me, oh, well, you only do that because you have BPD. They just, they talk to me as if I'm everyday type of person, which I am. But you, you couldn't do that in the 80s and pre-80s. You couldn't do it. I mean, it's only in the last 10 years you could really talk about mental illness, really, you know. I think that's a really good point because something which uh, I you know I, I had this thing and I kept it to myself for 20 years and it was it was the most important thing in my life you know it's the first yeah. thing I thought in the morning last thing I thought of at night it was how I defined myself and I, I always would second guess every decision that I made thinking if I didn't have this would I make that decision differently would I have this conversation differently would I uh, yeah. think differently and so when I started telling people about it I think I just assumed that it would become a way they would define me as well and they would be asking me questions about it and, and actually almost nobody did no. you know they just go oh right yeah and then they get on and then they said so did you see the match last night and or, yeah 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 um it sort of normalizes it in in a way that you know talking about it like this doesn't although this is a great thing to do mm. i knew that i knew it was normal or my friends accepted it when they started taking the piss out of it, you know, just started to gently, you know, tease me about it, just as they would 
a, my hair or my you know my jeans or whatever it was just a just became something that he's that's, that's associated with him yes yes that defines him um and it takes away doesn't it it takes away the when you say something i i've experienced where i had this massive intrusive thought and i i i, I had it and i was telling my wife and it was it buckled me like i was crying with it and all this and i was telling my wife and um she just went all right okay yeah and nothing and i was like you don't think i'm a monster no i wouldn't have married you if i thought you were a monster <laughs> It was just, I was expecting her to go, oh my God, you're a fucking monster. What's wrong with you? And she just went, so I have to go into town and, you know, leaving me with the kids. And I was like, I must have gotten shitty taught. Like, she goes, yeah, yeah, but like, I wouldn't have had kids with you if I thought you were fucking anything. You know, I know I was expecting this, let's ring the guards or police and just get you locked up. And I was like, no, you're not yeah. like that. You're, she said to me, your mind is worse than what you perceive yourself. Yeah. You know. So do you know how I think of it is um I'm I'm terrible when people tell me about their dreams. I've just got no interest at all. I do not care. Yeah. I'm like okay, it's not real, right? It, I don't I don't care. You may as well just make up people in your head and tell me stories about them. I just do not not interested. And yeah. it drives my wife off the wall because she loves telling me about her dreams. But I think it's a bit like that, you know, I want to to us it's so important these things that are going in not going on in our head. And yet everyone else knows they're not real. And, and so they don't, really, they don't really engage with it. So, yeah, well, you, know, yeah. you know, stop. I, 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 that's my, you know, it's one take on it. I think that, um, you know, you don't want people to dismiss these ideas. And, and if people are listening and they want to talk about these thoughts they're having with their loved ones, they should do. And they should say, it's because I think I have this condition or this issue. Yeah. Once that is accepted, once that becomes um part of sort of an association with who you are i think you'll find that the actual the content of those thoughts is of no interest to anybody else and as you said in your book you know when people get an intrusive thought and they get upset about it it's a conflict of interest between the thought and the person's morals and values whereas the people who don't are psychopaths yeah you know like that's it, you know, that's what you said in your book. And and that hit home because um unfortunately my father suffered with psychopathy, right? And nothing. Absolutely zero. Like I love he's passed on, he's dead and all that, but he had nothing. There was just nothing there. So I have experience with someone who has that level of emptiness, you know, that type of way. You know, and whereas people that will say with OCD get intrusive thoughts and get upset about them, that tells you everything you need to know about yourself in a sense of when you're getting a thought and you're getting upset, that tells you your morals are right where they should be. Absolutely, yeah. No. So the technical term they call it, psychologists call it ego dystonic, meaning that it clashes, you know, like a discord. If you hear two... Yeah. Two, two notes together just do not go together it just sounds yeah. horrible you want it to stop um well it's exactly like that it's, yeah. it's just discordant with with how you think of yourself um right. but of course that that's part of what causes all of the distress and the anxiety because as well as having the thought about the content of the thought which can be quite distressing like 
killing someone or hurting someone, um, you have the sort of a double whammy of thinking, well, what kind of person would think that? You know, I must be someone who would want to go and do that. Yes, um, yes. And, and so it sort of hits you on both both sides of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely know personally I grew up with all these intrusive thoughts and they were always in a sense of violence. But I, I mean, I can categorize it now. I grew up in a highly violent background. So, you know, it's, it's like uh, the French speak French. I, I, I grew up with this environment. So I understand. So naturally, my thoughts would gravitate towards that. And but as you become an adult, yeah, you do believe going, oh, my God, I must be this type of person if I'm thinking these thoughts. And I was terrified telling my counselors. So I feel like throwing people off a bridge and into the river. And they didn't blink an eye. And it's only again through listening to your book going, everybody gets these thoughts. Now I know why they never blinked an eye, whereas I was expecting to be locked up into a mental hospital, you know, mm. at any given stage. And you're trying to give a little bit more information. And I always wanted to give as much information because I wanted to be free of this uh, intrusive thoughts. Mm. And the more information you give, you're kind of a bit afraid in case you're going to be locked up. Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's worth making the point that um, there is still, there are still some circumstances where people unfortunately do have to be quite careful. And one of those is um, so people can get postnatal OCD. So people are familiar usually with postnatal depression, but you can also get an onset of OCD after it. And, and because the most precious thing in your life at that point is obviously the baby, the thoughts can, you can have thought people, moms and new moms and new dads can have thoughts about harming the baby which is ocd as we all we've talked about it clashes with who they are they would never do it it's intrusive it's irrational they can't help it but some people unfortunately when they go and report these thoughts to a to a doctor it isn't recognized as ocd because the doctors just hear someone talking about harming their child and obviously there's a duty of care for the child and and the doctors basically press the big red button you know, same child services. Yeah. And, and there are examples where people have been essentially separated from their child for, for reporting these kind of thoughts, which is another reason why I think it's important that society or people just talk about having these thoughts normally as a normal part of the human experience. That's exactly like that's what I was having earlier on when I was explaining it in, in, with this discussion. It was, I was only a brand new father and I had all these horrible intrusive thoughts, like my daughter is seven now, um, horrible intrusive thoughts of harming her. Mm. And they buckled me. I was crying. I was on my knees crying. And eventually I told my wife and she went into town and left me with our daughter. <laughs> I was going, you're leaving me with our daughter. Yeah, yeah, she says, like, your, your, your mind is worse than, like, Sean, I wouldn't have had kids with you. So, you know, I, we're talking about it today, like, and that's, I mean, she's seven now. You're talking seven years and, say, three months ago, because she's seven and a half. And I, I was buckled. I couldn't cope, like, I was crying. I couldn't yeah. get thoughts out of my head. I was in bits. I, I mean, I... I sometimes say this to people just to get across the reality of what's going on. You know, when a Hollywood celebrity says, oh my God, I'm so OCD, I have to have three showers a day, 
imagine a Hollywood celebrity saying, oh my God, I'm so OCD. I have, uh, I have these thoughts about putting my baby in a microwave. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why OCD does get this kind of impression as being almost harmless or sort of an extension of beneficial behaviors. When actually, yeah. these are the kind of horrible, horrible thoughts that, that people have and are completely meaningless. They do not mean anything. They do not indicate anything as they didn't with you and they no. didn't with you. No. no, I mean... Absolutely. As I said, I had these horrific, horrific, like the most horrific thoughts I ever had. And, you know, it, it was it was my wife's reaction. You know, literally, I told her and she went to town. Mm -hmm. It was that it was like, we know, we know, this isn't adding up, <laughs> you know, that type of a, I'm literally just after telling you and you're going to town. And I was there going to myself. There's no way would she, and I was calculating, going, there isn't a, there's no way it was our firstborn. It's not, she wouldn't do it with the other two either. There's no way would she leave a two-month-old child with somebody. They're going, right, this is not calculating up for me. So that is, that, that is exactly the kind of thing that they would do in, in therapy, you know, is, is to, because uh, for OCD, the therapy revolves around not responding to the thought so, so yeah. you've had the thought if your wife was to say or you were to say to, to your wife you can't leave me you've got to stay here in case i'd harm the children and she was to say okay i'll stay with you yeah that would be worse because that's kind of giving those thoughts some um yeah power treating them seriously some power exactly and and so what they would say in therapy is that to do exactly what she did just right. for her no, I'm bleeding. And, and because yeah. that is quite rare sometimes for people in the grip of these intrusive thoughts to almost test them because yeah. we're so used to being frightened by something and then performing a compulsion and then saying the reason that the bad thing didn't happen was because we did the compulsion. Yeah. It's quite rare to actually follow through and see what happens. And that's one of the, one of the issues with it is that we never learn. You know, we never oh. learn that these bad things won't happen. So, for example, I met someone who, you know, every time he, he had a particular, he, he wrote a number, I think, down, uh, he would get images of his children dying and he would have to do some kind of compulsive behaviour to make himself feel better, like tap on his head three times or whatever it was. And because every time he had one of those thoughts, he, he did that ritual, he never got to experience the fact that he could have the thought and then his children wouldn't die and, and he would learn that actually it was okay. Yeah. So it was actually, it was very probably, probably beneficial for you to realize when your wife left you with the, the baby that you didn't harm the baby. Yeah. Yeah. The next time you have one of those thoughts, you're, um, you're less reliant on somebody else stopping you, you know, by sitting with you or taking the children away. Yeah. Like one of the, I've never said this. I'm going to say it now, but, but it's mental what I did in a sense of. I read this book on anxiety or listened to I'm honest and read I listened to the book on anxiety, a book on anxiety. And the long and the short of the book was just face it, literally face it, you know. And uh, the next intrusive thought I got about my daughter was like, 
we have a massive fire and it was, you know, cut her up and put her in the fire. And I was like, fuck, you know, I was booking. And I went, yeah, yeah, okay, let's do it. Yeah, 100%. And my brain went, what? You know? And I went, yeah, fuck it. But I want to keep her arm. <clears throat> I just want to keep her arm. And I want to hold it as an Olympic torch going up through the town. And my brain went, you're a fucking weirdo, <laughs> right? <laughs> And I've never had an intrusive thought since. Every I've had them, right? But now every time I get an intrusive thought and my brain goes, what do you think it is? I go, yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. Why not? It's ridiculous. I just want to, like, let's kill someone. I'd want to, well, I'm not doing this. Unless I kill a hundred, I'm not even going to go into it. And every time my brain produces an intrusive thought now, I completely go with it. I will... Absolutely, because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, no matter what, I mean, I'm probably one of the most serial killers on the planet that I, you know, I, I've never killed anyone, but I'm the worst because I've killed millions in my head. And now if my brain gives me an intrusive thought, I kind of go, ah, you're on one. <laughs> you're <Yeah>. on one. <laughs> come on now. What's going on with your head? Come on. Out you come. And I don't even, I don't even acknowledge it anymore in a sense of going, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I mean, my kids are, not only do we have one child, we've now three. I mean, my wife would have never went for more. Um, but the fact that you're getting them and like that, you can't really come out and say, Oh, I was thinking of chopping my daughter up and putting her in a fire. It's not exactly your everyday thing. No. And people, you know, people would be like, for fuck's sake, what's going on inside your head? Now I get my head is just very, very extravagant in its weird own way. You know, your man that made the Saw films wasn't thinking of fucking Disney. Um, so now when I get an intrusive thought, I go, ah, come on out. Come on, you're fucking on one. Come on out. And I don't acknowledge it as this big thing anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is which is great. It's it's exactly how that's what the books tell you to, to kind of do to recognize it and to you know let it pass or let it let it float away like a cloud or whatever the yeah. you know, gentle metaphors. But I like yours kind of inviting it, inviting it into the ring. So come on then, let's have it out. Complete look, like. I, to be honest, right, and, and I've never said, I mean, I like this is the first time roughly, I've said this a few times privately, but never, you know, and I said it to my wife. Um, but I mean, that was the end of it for me. That was completely the end of my intrusive thoughts in a sense of, I kind of got used to throwing people over a bridge and chopping them up and all these things that I never did. I got used to it, which, which was weird. But when it came to my daughter, and I mean, you're first born and you're a new parent and you don't know what you're at, it really personalized it for me. And when I say I was on my knees crying, I was bent over crying. I was, it was just soul destroying to think that my mind could put these graphic images in about me and my daughter. But when I went with it, and I mean, the conclusion of how I got rid of my intrusive thoughts was fucking mental in a sense of, yeah, yeah, but I want it as an Olympic torch because as your man said in the book, make it as ridiculous as popular as possible. You know, you know, if you're going to do this, well, then I'm going to add 300% to it, you know, mm-hmm. and 
when he said to make it as ridiculous as possible and I just put up the Olympic torch and my brain literally went, you're a weirdo. <laughs> it's literally, I literally called myself a weirdo. But you're talking over seven years ago, since that day, any time now, if, if I see I'm getting an intrusive thought, I go, come on in, you're getting a cup of tea, come on in, what's going on with you? You're fucking tired or you're hungry or you, you know, you're too much stress in your life. And if... For me, if I look closely enough at it, I'm tired, I'm hungry, or just too much stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I now see an intrusive thought as my body's way of saying, hey, I have a great warning system for you. It's way better than most people's. I'm going to let you know instantly if you're hungry, tired, or you're, not, you're taking on too much stress. Mm-hmm. So now I look at it as a, a really good stress response for my own body. It sounds a bit like a, a sort of a superpower because one of the things that a lot of people who um, contact me say people with with the HIV OCD as well yes yeah. is um, how do you know if it's an intrusive thought or if it's a thought that you should take seriously and um, and I think deep down we know we do we we got yeah. oh, this is one that we should take seriously because I'm not quite sure it's an intrusive thought. Um, you know, because if it isn't an intrusive thought, then you're justified in seeking the reassurance or doing what it is that you, that you do to try and make it go away. But um, I think being able to label it so clearly when it when it arrives yeah. and just to, to distinguish it and to treat it in that way is um, it's just a cast iron defense against ever going with them and taking them seriously. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, when you have these amount of intrusive thoughts, they can absolutely. I noticed from a friend of mine, she was spending 20 hours a week with her OCD, just managing it, you know, constantly managing her OCD about turning up, checking the gas like 36 times and checking the windows. And God help her, she used to constantly run over this imaginary child a bump on the road and then she'd travel like 50 or 60 miles back checking in ditches to make sure yeah. that she didn't kill the child i mean and it was only when i was asking her what color hair is the child or you know fair color hair and how old is the child and it was eight and when was your first traumatic experience and she goes eight and i says did you have fair hair when you were a child and it was like going was that you you're running over you're running over yourself you know um but when she was telling me 20 hours a week she was spending on her OCD to just um, make sure that she hadn't harmed this imaginary child. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, um, it, it, it sunk home just how severe OCD is. It really did. Like, of all the illnesses, I love listening and reading up on the illnesses. OCD to me is like one of the biggest bullies you could have in your mind. Mm. Oh, that type of like I got intrusive thoughts and I was buckled for you know a couple of weeks with them, but it's a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You had done 20 years, you were saying, you know, before you you, yeah. before you saw it. Really, so, you know, I think most people are familiar with um sort of phobias, you know. So yeah. I had a friend who was genuinely arachnophobic, and if she saw a spider, she was paralyzed. I mean, she yeah. just couldn't do anything, she would just shake and one of us would have to realize what was going on and she would sort of point with her eyes where it was and we'd have to go and remove yeah. it. Um, but 
usually people with a phobia don't have that reaction unless they experience the a spider yeah you know? so but ocd is a bit like i wonder if there's a spider here or if there's a spider there and you almost have that reaction constantly even yeah. when there's even when there isn't a, a stimulus yeah because um, yeah. you because you can you just invent the stimulus in your own mind and then you react to it by getting scared and frightened and anxious and so it's very it's very personal and it's very portable you know there are, there are no circum you could put someone with ocd in an, an empty room and they would just have a miserable, miserable time of it because they can invent something to be frightened of um yeah, yeah. it's it's um yeah it's it's awful it's it's terrible well your book is who uh one sec now i'm 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 getting a bit of a blank when i say this um the man who couldn't stop is the name of your book um and if people wanted to contact you uh, as you just said through you know some people who get your book and they'll and they'll uh, email you have you uh, a way of people contacting you if you if they wanted to kind of give you a message about how you yeah, felt just just google me i've got a website it's david neil adam and you can contact me through that or my email address is on it okay uh, yeah I, mean, I think i'm on twitter as well i don't really use it but you can find me if you need to <laughs> i'm the same social media and me don't go well and well um <laughs> but i mean i think you have to do your own thing but david i have to say thanks very much for coming on because um as i said i i have complete I have complete notes here on my phone to which I was going to do a complete podcast about. Um, but I mean, even better, the fact that you came on because you, you've lived it. I, I, haven't, I haven't lived OCD. I've, I, I haven't lived it. And I'm very, I'm very careful to not talk about something, even though you could read, you know, I, I'm very conscious to think, even though I could read a book about flying to the moon, but it doesn't make me an astronaut, you know? Um, so I'm very conscious to be respectful towards any other mental illness. I have BPD, and it's as simple as it gets. But I have to say, thanks very much. Your, your book was unreal because of the honesty. I love the honesty. I just absolutely love the honesty and the wit in your book. And it, for me, as I said, even though I don't have OCD, the fact that you were able to research that one thing and, and say everyone has intrusive thoughts and now you know my deepest darkest intrusive thought on the planet um it was lovely to hear that because i could then go out and ask people who i know are neurotypical and they were like yeah yeah i get these intrusive thoughts which makes it more easier for me to come on and say i was chopping up my daughter and putting her into a fire i've never chopped up anyone <laughs> i don't intend to either um but you know i have to say david thank you very much for coming on you know no, you're very welcome. Thanks for asking. Okay. David, thanks again. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. I'm glad we got it sorted. Yeah.